Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. I hope you're doing well. My guest today is Jerry Pantazis. He's a drummer from Melbourne, played with Tommy Emanuel, Bachelor Girl, Daryl Braithwaite, Richard Marks, just to name a few. Um, he's also currently on a 20-plus year run as the drummer in the house band for the Melbourne Carols by Candlelight, which is pretty awesome, pretty impressive. Just a sound warning on this one. Part of my uh, recording equipment failed while, while we were recording this, so luckily I run a backup. Um, but the backup, the sound quality is not quite as good. So if you can kind of see past the quality and just focus on the conversation, I reckon hopefully you'll have as much fun listening to Jerry uh, as I did. Anyway, let's rip in a this is episode 143, Jerry Pantazis. Here we go. Test, testing, testing. <laughs> it's working now. I think okay, we're rolling. Great. Great, yeah. <laughs> hey, Je- hey, Jerry, how are you, man? I'm good, Stevie. How are you? Yeah, good, bud. Now, can I can I ask you how to pronounce your last name properly? Because I've been practicing all day, but I'm I'm not quite sure. But I'll, I'll give. Can I give it a crack? Can I? I'll give it. Yeah, a give crack it a first? give it a shot first. Yeah, yeah. go for it. Um, Pantar, uh, Pan, oh, fuck, Pantazas. <laughs> Is that perfect? Right? It's <laughs> so. So spot on, man. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Pantazis, beautiful. Pantazis. Okay, so is is, yeah. is that is that Italian? Uh, it's Greek. It's Greek. Okay, so what's yeah. what's how 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 far back the family tree is, oh, is Greece? Well, mum, I, mum and dad. I, uh, well, mum's 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 from Greece, and my father is actually from um, from born in Egypt, uh, but but from from Greek uh, Egyptian background. Um, and they and they met here, so um, so I'm I'm pretty much first generation uh, Aussie, you know. So, um, but with my obviously my Greek heritage and you know all that sort of stuff and um, Pentazis, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the uh, the Greek the Greek uh, pronunciation, uh, the Australian pronunciation. You know, it's actually in Greek you would say Pandazis, you know. So ah, so that so the accent changes the the emphasis totally. On the, the emphasis, the, the, oh, the emphasis on the different syllable, right? Syllable, correct. <laughs> you stole my gag, man. <laughs> <laughs> but don't, psh, cut, That's two, right. two, two drummers walk into a bar. <laughs> oh, exactly. No, mate, man, it's 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 really good to to um, be chatting to you. And and like I said to you in a message, I'll, I'll sort of I'll back it up a little bit. So we've all got these these you know drummers and albums that. You know, during a, a certain part of our lives, you know, we we studied and we we loved, and it came out at a certain time where it was kind of needed. And and for me, um, Bachelor Girl uh, album in nineteen ninety eight, when that came out, and I'm not talking about the, I mean, there was you know, Buses and Trains, which was the massive hit. But when I bought the album and start started listening to the songs, I heard this drummer on this album, and I went. Man, who's this guy? Some session session dude from from the states, you know. And he and oh, he's playing kind of the stuff that I'm 
into and I'm playing and it's kind of like I was listening to the songs and when right. it changed the, the song would come for the first time and I would go and do a film I'm like Jesus he just did the same film I would have played you know it was, yeah. it was like that yeah. so that that out that was one of those albums for me Jerry and and um you know I listened to it hundreds of times in my in my drum room and I learned all your parts and I <laughs> I, 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 re, I really did you know and I, I don't know cool. if you've heard, heard that before but yeah, it was one of those albums and especially in that time too because you know a lot was sort of going on and you know musically for me and then I also got I also got really really sick during that time and that that right. album all of that album sort of you know help me along so it's Lovely. great to be <laughs> sitting here and, and and you know obviously since that point I've, I found out who you were and I've sort yep. of been following along you know all this time and and um it's great that I'm actually sitting here chatting to you man I, I you know oh, I'm a fan that's oh thanks man that, that's well that's I mean that album's going back uh what close to 21 22 years I think or even more than that um so um Wait, waiting for you the know, day. That was, That's sorry, Bachelor Girl. Waiting yeah. for the day is the name of the album. Yep, and so That's you know, correct, mo- yeah. most most people would know the the hit song. Oh, the big um, the big hit that one, and then the yeah, maybe tr- tr- Treat Me Good was was out there for a while. Um, I didn't play on. Um, I, I think there was some program drums on. Um, Permission? Oh no! Did I play on Permission to Shine? No, I didn't play it because that because Permission to Shine and Lucky Me were new uh, extra cuts on the album that that got added on a second release. Um, so I've got two versions of that CD of one with just the the, the normal the, the normal sort of listening of songs, and then there was another special edition with two extra songs songs on there, which and, and um, they and they they did yeah. re, they remixed um um they remixed. Um, that song "Afraid," you are afraid, okay. and oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, it's so, yeah. so the the streaming version of that is, I think, it's programmed drums. But you know, yeah, that probably. was that was one of the songs in that original release with the the drums. You know, yeah, nice slow ballad and yeah, builds and you know, it's, it's just yeah. the you know, wonderful sort of wonderful drum track on that. So when well, when I you, when man. I got yeah when I got the the streaming version, I'm like, what have they done? What have they done to yeah. this song? You know. Yeah. Maybe they did. Maybe they kind of rejigged it because you know of that whole you know streaming thing of it's I don't know maybe it's a royalty thing or I don't, I'm not really sure whether it goes back to the record company you know um, but but it's it's funny going back to what you said about you know the the, the you know it, you learn the stuff and go oh that's a feel that I would have played or you know that that's that being familiar with that you know it, it's quite possible that we we both listen to the same the same stuff players. Yeah. The same plays coming up, you know. So I mean, I was a big, you know, I still am a, a big Jeff Baccaro fan and Steve Gadd, and and you know, um, the, those those session players that we could turn on the radio and just listen to them, they were there. So you you you're kind of absorbing their their musicality without even knowing about it. So. So it's a no-brainer to, for me to hear that, to hear you say that, and go, "That's something that I would play." I go, "Well, yeah, because it's that's that's that that that, that <laughs> yeah. sounds about right." I think every drummer would probably play what I played on that thing. You yeah, know? yeah, maybe, um, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, or something close to that. You know, so I mean, because fills and and, and yeah, you know, drum fills and things like that. I mean, it, it's really a personal thing it's you know how you play it and where you play it in a song you know helps propel it into the next section 
you know, I mean, that's what feels do, you know. So whatever feels I did on that record, you know, were, I can't remember how much of them were planned out, um, um, but I, I do remember that, you know, we'd already gigged that stuff um, okay. well in advance before going into the, into the studio right. and track that's, it. that's what I was going to ask. What was the yeah. process? Did you, did you, had you met the, the guys and oh, you yeah, went yeah. in and I it was said, a session or you were playing in that band I, at the time? I, I was already playing with Tanya in another band, actually. I, I was already playing with her in a, in a cover band. We were working sort of two nights a week. Um, yep. Like a residency gig. And, um, and, and all the while we were doing that, and that, and this residency gig lasted for a good, uh, six months or something like that. So while we were doing that gig, uh, you know, obviously sh- her and James were working on writing stuff. So when it came to kind of do a showcase gig, you know, she asked me if I could be, if I wanted to be part of it. And I said, yeah, sure. So they handed the, the, the demos over and we rehearsed and, you know, and, and, Pretty much what went down on that showcase gig is what ended up on the album. But believe it or not, Buses and Trains was was a song that kind of got jigged um, from memory, uh, got jigged a lot because it was actually in the minor key and the groove was totally oh, different. Right. Really? Uh, the groove was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like um, the groove being more like a dun, dun, da, 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 dun. Don't, that sort of thing. Hey, ma, don't you, that was like really dark sort of vibe, you know. Gotcha. So when it came to when it came to record the 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 tune, they they kind of changed it and became the version that it, that it is there. I mean, the guys might 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 not remember any of that, but I I kind of do. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, um, and that's kind of like my recollection of that. And then all the all the other tracks off the album, you know, I mean that album was done. Um, in a, a day and a half, we tracked that the drums. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was right. it was done right. pretty it was done pretty quick. Only because I knew the songs and I knew my parts and and uh, you know it was it was really really well planned out as far as that. Once we got in the studio, we weren't mucking around, you know. And obviously, mm. in those days, you know, you're up against the the clock. So time is of the essence and not wasting money in the studio. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, it was done quickly, but it was done really, really well from, from, yeah. f- uh, f- from memory. And then obviously when the stuff was re- released, I think the first time I heard it was on the, on the radio. That's when I first heard it. Did, and- did you have any sort of inkling that it was sort of good enough to be commercial? Uh, like, I. Yeah, totally. Had, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the songs, the songs were great. I mean, they still yeah, are. Yeah, for sure. You know, they, they are. Yeah. And and, yep. and and I just remember kind of um, thinking that I don't, I'm not sure what what's their single going to be to to get them on the map, but they chose buses and trains, and 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 then mm. the, I guess the rest is history. And you can walk in any supermarket around Australia and it'll be playing in the background, you know what I mean? So Man, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's still it's, going, it's, you know. It still gets played on Smooth FM every single morning at work. Really? Okay. Every yeah, I'm, every every oh, day. Man. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. I dig it, man. Yeah. But and no, the loop's really cool. Like back in the day, that I mean that loop that mm. that is at the, the, the front half of the of that song. Um, you know, 
it's, it's, it's really cool. It still holds up today, you know what I mean? So it wasn't something like it was a fad or something like that. Um, and so and whenever we would play that live, it wasn't to a sequence. I was actually triggering the sections of that loop well, yeah, live. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was totally organic. Yeah, totally organic. So um, and obviously the loop comes in back into the, you know, after the, the the big bridge and stuff like that, and then it breaks, does another breakdown, then the loop appears. Well, I've got yeah. to make sure I'm still in the same sort of tempo range so when I'm playing the loop, it's <laughs> we're in the ballpark, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it was really cool. It was really it was a great way of doing it. I, I mean, it caused a few headaches triggering-wise, but it was once, once, once I got my head around it, I mean, you know, we are talking about the late 90s with all that stuff, yeah. so... That technology was still, you know, primitive. So, what was the technology then? What were you using? Like, like uh, I had an an, an SPD twenty as right. my MIDI my MIDI trigger, which was triggering the loop, like uh, off James Roche as one of his, um, you know, keyboard sort of modules or something like that. Yeah, you know? wow. So, so yeah, so you would play like eighth notes, or you know, da 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 da, and what would come out would be a chicka 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 chicka. So if I, if I, yeah. so if I went chicka 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 chicka, it would follow me. Yeah. It was gotcha. really weird. So, so sound, so sound checks were really funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I would, I would kind of goof around on that. Yeah. But um, we had to make sure the, the, you know, like all the the trigger sensitivity and all that sort of stuff that that goes along with that. With, with anything that you're trigger, triggering, even to this day, it's still you got you got the worries of cross triggering. You know, you hit one thing, but then the sound comes off something somewhere else, and so, you know. Um, but it, that's what we that's what we did. I had an SPD twenty, and and that was for for for, for that tune, I and mean, for some other tunes. You know, I was start and stopping click tracks with that, and um, you know. But I left James Roche was you know like he he he, he had his head around all that gear. Because of his experience playing with, like you know, um, prior to that was a lot with Tommy Emmanuel, and um, I believe he, I believe he was in LRB there for a while too. But um, oh, really? But so he had, really? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Towards the, the later stages there, and so he had his head around that technology, and he was pretty, pretty on with it. So I would just hand him the SPD twenty and go, well, he, this is what you need. Do the programming or whatever you want want to do on it, and then hand it back, and I'll. I'll play it, you know what I mean. So, um, and it was all MIDI te- technology. So, but heaps fun. It was it was really heaps fun when, <laughs> yeah. when it when it worked, and when it didn't work, it was a total nightmare, you know. Right. <laughs> did, but did you know? Did you get to tour overseas with those guys? Oh, did, we did. Or was it, we or did was... a couple. They did. They did a few gigs um, in Asia, which we did, um, and then. Um, yeah, mostly local stuff here. But then I, you know, I, I, I kind of left. Well, I didn't leave. I was kind of, well, they, 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 I got replaced basically in the band. Um, cause I was actually really busy doing theater work here in Melbourne. So, um, oh, you couldn't, and I couldn't commit. Well, yeah, it's pretty hard when, you know, you're waiting for them to kind of yeah tell you what's going on. All of a sudden I've been handed like, you know, a, a gig that's going to last for 13 months. So it's, mm. you know, and I just bought a home and, you know what I mean? All that, all that sort of stuff was sort of starting to happen. And so, um, um, it kind of worked out. And then once, once they, 
they released a second album. Um, they had a pretty much different band to the one that I was in, and and they, from what I can understand, they were doing gigs and things like that. But the second album didn't do that great. I don't, I don't think some great songs off it, but it just yeah. didn't, just didn't click, you know, unfortunately. So, um, but you know what, the, you know what the great thing is, is that they're back out there now doing gigs and yep. playing, um, and, and I think that's 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 really, it's fabulous because everybody gets to hear those songs again live, you know. And so, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, Hayden Meggett, had been doing yep. a gig. Yeah. I, um, I, I actually, I was, uh, I was chatting online with Hayden for a little bit and we were going to yeah, try, sure. and, try and tee it up. I think it might have been COVID-ish sort of time or in between or something like that. And we were yeah. going to try and organise to, to meet up somewhere and, 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 of course, he was playing my Bachelor Girl and we would <laughs> we sort of chatted a little bit about you and he was saying, because yeah, yeah, I was telling him, you know, how much I, yeah. I sort of love those drum parts and, yeah. um, you know, he was saying too, you know, he, he does his best to do them justice, you know. Oh, he, he did a great job. Like we we're, were on the same bill. At the time I was playing, um, doing Richard Marx's gig um, when he was touring around Australia and on the on the same bill was was Bachelor Girl. So I was looking forward to hearing, uh, hearing them play, you know. And so, so, I, so I remember sound checking, uh, doing a sound check, and I get a tap on the shoulder, and it's 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 Hayden, you know. And you know, one of the first things he said, he goes, "Man, I've, just, I've been having a ball learning your parts," you know. And I said, "Oh, well, I, I, I said I'll, I'll give you my report after I hear the gig, man." You know, <laughs> jokingly, you know. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he was great. But he was great, and he did he did really really well, man. You know, I mean, it's it's it is open for interpretation, though. A lot of it is, but you know, and, and so I think as long as you're in the ballpark with the kick and snare parts, the fills are a kind of it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? It's it's really the grooves, the kick and snare parts and things like where you go to the ride symbol and all that sort of where, where, where the tunes should lift, where you should bring it down, you know. Um, you know, I did I did ask him, I said, hey, man, did you bring your – have you got your splash symbol? And he looked at me, he goes, what, why? I said, well, there's a splash symbol in the middle of buses and trains, you know. <laughs> He goes, really? I go, I go, yeah, man. I said, you'd be surprised how nobody picks that up, you know, or nobody is willing to play or set up a little splash. And, yeah. um, you know, so it's in there. If you listen to the breakdown, it's the bar before coming in to the last chorus. There's a little, yeah. And honestly, I didn't think that was going to make the cut. I actually, I just played it knowing that maybe James might just mute the drums in that section, you know. Yeah, right. But, but but to my surprise, and actually, uh, you know, and, and and being grateful about it, it's it's in there, you know. Yeah, that's cool. No, nice little tasty bit, which I'm I'm really glad that it's in there. So you know, that's, it's kind of cool. That's, that's fantastic, man. <laughs> All right. Know. So what's um. What have you been doing lately? And then what we'll do is we'll then we'll roll back right to how it all sort of oh, began, and we'll work up sure, some stuff. But you know, like it, you know, we're 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 um into the new year now. So how was? Uh, well, congratulations on twenty years of the uh, of the the carols because that's oh, yes, something that you've could. done. Yep, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that, right, that's, yeah. that's something I want to ask you a little bit about later too. So that is sure. that's like that's twenty years on the trot, right? That's 
Yeah, that's pre- that's pretty. That's amazing. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's you know, um, yeah. It's a, it's it's. Uh, so this year was tw- oh, last year was twenty one. So we've we've gone Sorry, over the. Yeah. No, that's good, man. It's great. I mean, um, um, you know, there's not many live gigs on on TV anymore. It's so yeah. or live bands. You know, I mean, the only one that I know of is you know the 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 guys on the Voice doing that, and hopefully that you know. That Australian Idol or back, you know that that they may be a, a house band, which would be good. No, there you know, there, is, there, there is. I can tell you, oh, great, awesome. There, def- great. there definitely is, and I'm I'm going to be awesome. Yeah. talking to to Dan, the guitar player, in a couple of days, actually. So, um, oh, great, great. Yep, yep. You know, so I've been so look. I've just of late, I've been I've been touring and playing with Daryl Braithwaite for the last couple of years, um, mm-hmm. and so so there's more of that coming up this year. Um, and, and that's that's pretty much as far as that. I mean, just doing local gigs around town here with um, um, Jeff Atchison, um, great blues guitar player that I've been with for you know close to twenty years again. So, um, um, and so I got that going on, and plus I got some sessiony work here from home and doing drum tracks and what have you, and that's usually kind of ticks over now and then. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I got, I've got enough on my plate at the minute to, uh, keep me busy and plus some teaching as well. So, um, I do, I do a little bit of that and, um, but, um, yeah, we just, uh, just, just plod, plodding along with, um, with, um, with Daryl at the minute. So it was cool. cool. That's great. Yeah. And so, so on, on Daryl and, and I've mentioned this on the, on the podcast before is another one of those albums, like, like like waiting for the day was another one of those albums for me mid 90s was Daryl Braithwaite's Rise yeah when i when i and obviously not not horses yeah. new horses but for some I, I don't know how i <laughs> ended up getting the album but i did and it was another one of those albums where i was just connected to the drums and then yeah. you know l- l- learn later on this John Watson right correct so, that's right Absolutely. That's another, when I when I first came to Australia, that was one of the the uh, CDs I had that I would practice to, and I and that was the album. That was the album I was practicing to, and I was, yep. you know, playing like, yep. playing like Watto. And then I, you know, I, I learned later on that he'd also done or still doing the James Rain stuff. That's right. All great songs that I didn't know it was yep. him, but I was also playing along to, you know, yep. and and yep. so you know, to, and to hear that you're now doing the Daryl Braithwaite thing, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> sort of it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> weird circle of just yeah. fucking great drummers, man. You know, it's great. Well, man, it's 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 really interesting. Like, you know, I knew that Watto had had played and all that stuff, and plus the the, the James Rain and you know and, and countless of other albums that he's played on. You know, um, so when I went, so when I um, kind of had to dive in with these with those with the with Daryl's tunes. It was a case of yeah, so I'm, I'm we're probably the same age too, Steve. I'm, I'm 53, so I'm uh, you know are we are we if, in the same? You know, nah, you're same way brother? you're nah. I'm way older. Way way. way. No, I'm I'm 48. <laughs> not, not, you not, <laughs> no, not we're not in the too same. Far. Not too far we're, behind me, but but not, not too far. But those, yeah, those yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 we were listening to the same stuff on the radio. Let's put it that way. So, um, and, and, and I think we've, 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 um, that Rise album, that was kind of like my introduction to, to solo Daryl Braithwaite. You know, I wasn't never, I was never really a, 
a sherbet, you know, listener or something like that. So my my sort of Dale Braithwaite knowledge was those those records, those solo records. So it was good to revisit those the original versions because I get handed a a, a desk tape. And, and, you know, things have changed, the, the band's playing it a little bit differently, as it does, you know, it, it morphs into whatever it is. So I kind of went back and listened to the original versions and transcribed a lot of, lot of John's um, fills and grooves, you know. Not to say that, um, you know, the beautiful John Coniola, you know, wasn't doing that. He was definitely doing that stuff, definitely doing that stuff. So I just wanted to kind of make sure, like, you know, what I was listening to was exactly that. And he, he was doing that. And I kind of got more into like listening to the tones, like his snare drums and, and stuff like that on those recordings. You know, for something like Rise, the tune Rise, it's a fairly ringy type, really the sort snare, of cutting up. snare. Yeah, yeah, cranked up. So whenever we play it live, you know, my moon gel comes off the snare. So, you know, and I give it a little extra tweak before we yep. launch into it, you know, and then when the song finishes, put the put the moon gel back on, you know, and detune it just a fraction again, you know. So yeah. and then, and then and do you play? Do you play, Can I ask you that? Like in Rise, after yep. that that breakdown when it goes, um, and then it comes back, you know, the it does a little intro. Yes, yes, you do that, Phil. You do that. I do that feel. Yeah, yeah, you have to. So, so that's so that's so that's really great. You bring that up, man. Because actually, the feel the feel starts on beat two, one, two, three, and four. Yeah, one. Yeah. So it's like one, two, which because I just love that feel. I do it all the time, you know. And it threw the guys in the band when I did it because you know obviously. Corny had had morphed it into something else, and he's got every right to do that. Do that because he'd been playing with with Daryl for like you know close to thirty years. So, um, but I kind of wanted to play that Phil the way the way the way he, uh, Watto did it, and I got to play it in front of him because we we're on a double bill with James Rain, and we we're on before him, and I could see Watto in the quarter. I'm thinking, oh, what's he thinking, man? I'm playing his parts, you know. Like I hope it's okay, and. And, uh, and, and, you know, as, as for those who know John Watson, they, every, you know, he's, he's just a sweetheart of a guy and very, very supportive and very encouraging, you know. So it was great. I mean, I, you know, I went up to him afterwards and said hello and things like that. And, you know, he gave me the seal of approval. I said, I hope I didn't, I didn't kill your parts, man. And he goes, no, 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 it was, it was fine, you know. And that's, and not that I was sort of, sort of, um, looking for, you know that sort of um, uh, satisfaction of him saying it. I, I, it was more I like a, a marker, a marker respect from me to him. You know, because I just, I, yep. you can't help not respect someone that's done so much for this for for, for strange drumming. You know, so you know. I know exactly what you mean because if you if I if I was playing in a Bachelor Girl cover band, <laughs> and, and Jerry was standing side of stage, I would be. I'd be fucking shitting bricks that I'm playing the right, the parts right. I wouldn't give a shit yeah, about the yeah. rest of my. And then I would have come up to you at the end and gone, "How was that? Did I did I get the? Yeah, yeah. How was the, exactly. Did I get the splash? Did I get the splash, splash in the right? <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
That's fantastic. So, so, so we, so we know the same. We have the same sort of feeling, you know, like when we, 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 when we know a song so well, and then we play it, and then you know, if that person just so happens to be there, I hope it's okay. You know, I hope what I play is okay. It's in, it's in the ballpark, and um, uh, I think generally, you know, like I mean, I, I'd be chuffed. I, I mean, I am. You know, when someone plays that, I go, well, that's. That's something that I played on. Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's not many, there's not many, nobody, you know, there's not many of us so that you can kind of, kind of can say that on commercial radio these days. There's not much sort of drumming stuff going on. A lot of it's all programmed, you know, and it's, it's real. So I'm very proud and honored with that, you know, and, um, um, uh, and, and and I just hope there's more of it. I just hope there's more of it that that hopefully these you know some of these radio stations can give more more local bands a chance to play and and or airplay you know rather than just relying on trying to stream their stuff and getting an audience that way, which is becoming increasingly impossible. It's just becoming downright impossible. You know. So do you find that the stuff that you're recording for different artists that that it's making its way onto some sort of radio commercial radio yeah no not really no it's more no no no, not really no i mean um oh some some of the stuff i've done um actually i'm just trying to think of anything i've done recently no it hasn't it's all everyone's like trying to find their market on 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 those streaming platforms you know um and obviously they they might you know press you know, 500 CDs or something like that and then trying to sell them or, or vinyl try, and then trying to sell them at their gigs, you know. Um, it's, it's become point of sale now with that stuff, the hard copies, you know, because although there's record shops popping up now, I mean, but they're all dealing in nostalgic vinyl, you know, predominantly anyway. Yeah, there's some new stuff that people are releasing as, as vinyl, but, you know, um, I just don't know how much of it they're selling in record shops versus selling it at the gig, you yep. know. Um, I, I, uh, I buy a lot of – I buy – you know, I like to support, you know, local musicians and stuff. And then when they when, when they have vinyl for sale um, and I'm able, I'll buy it, right? Yeah. But the fucking – I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm the ultimate fan to these people because I don't have a fucking record player. No, but I, but I know that you know a lot of the vinyl stuff that that they're releasing is sort of limited run stuff. That's right, and and it, and it costs yep. a fair bit of money, and they need to get their money back. Yep. So if I can, that's if correct. I can buy it and support it, and you know yep. what? See, see, just over there, see that spot? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing there, so. For the last six months or so, oh, yeah, yeah, it looks like I'm. That's right. You can put a record table? player there, eh? What do you That's reckon? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you should there. A couple, yeah. couple of beautiful speakers as well. A nice little, right? Nice little. And then I can, and, and then I'd be fine. And then I can listen to the stack of vinyl that I bought. But, but no, I, I usually it's I usually buy it through through Bandcamp, and then but you know I'll get the I'll yeah. get the um the the digital copy as well. So that. Yeah, that goes into yeah. my Bandcamp app, and I can listen to that in the car and that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah, most of the stuff I record here, they're all you know independent artists um, that want to release an album or an EP or you know a, or a cluster of songs. You know, and then, and then that's that to me. It's like a it's like a business card now. 
you know, it draws people to what you're, what you're doing, you know. So, um, you know, um, yeah, I've been doing heaps of that stuff. And they're all, you know, these artists, some of the stuff I'm, I've been recording, the songs are great, man, like really, really good songs. You know, and I'm thinking why, why is it so hard for these, for these up-and-comers to get airplay on radio stations and stuff like that? And, or the main, let, let's say the mainstream, you know, but I don't know what the mainstream is anymore. You know, is it, is it, is it, you know, is it like your triple M's? Is it your, your ABC, you know, your triple J's? Like, I, I, I'm so old now that I don't know what it is anymore, you know? Yep. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely still triple J and then sort of, you know, the, the, the stuff outside that, I wouldn't know either, Jerry, but, but my kids listen to stuff. And yeah. you know we've got like a a um like a family Apple Music and Spotify account, so you know we yeah. we're sharing music with each other. So I get to see what they're listening to, and then I'll go and have a listen, you know. Yeah. And um and if I didn't, if they weren't listening to that stuff, I, I wouldn't know where it was. I, I don't listen to the only commercial yeah. radio I listen to is is Smooth FM, um, yeah. which you know <laughs> plays just the the old stuff. All the time, yeah. which is you know, yeah. it's what we like like to listen to at work. You know, I don't listen to. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, Stevie, when you listen to your, your your kids' playlist, what are they listening to? Well, my, you know, my oldest daughter, she's she's into the you know Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift, that kind of stuff, and yep. Great. you know, I, I I've got nothing against that music. I, I think the music's fa- it's. Fantastic. It's the good. songs, yeah, the songs really are good. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, there's there's a lot of shit. <laughs> Some of it's a lot of crap. Um, my my youngest daughter, she listens to um, Imagine Dragons. Um, yes, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, she's listening to what else was she listening to the other day? She just like she'll just with, see the thing with Spotify is you know you you um. You type a song and you listen to it, and then you've got some suggested stuff. So she'll yeah. start listening to that suggested playlist. So she That's doesn't necessarily cool. yeah. find an art. Whereas you know, my older daughter, she'll she'll find an artist and she'll go back through and she'll listen to all that stuff, which is you know, it's oh. probably sort of how we used to do it. Yeah, that, oh, sorry, drop, we drop, just, yeah, we dropped we just, out for a second. We, we, we <laughs> we'll fix that a in post. Bit. We'll fix that yeah. in post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, she'll my my oldest daughter. She'll go back and listen to, you know, for example, Taylor Swift or or Billie Eilish. She'll listen to all that stuff chronologically gotcha. too. You know, and and oh yeah, yeah. see how yeah. she's built as an artist to where she is now. And yeah, and and, uh, yeah. and same with the Billie Eilish stuff. Whereas yeah, like I said, my yeah. younger daughter, she'll just I'll say to her, "What do you listen to?" And she'll go, "Oh, this song. Oh, who's that by?" And then she'll have a look. Oh, um, such and such. Yeah. Oh, what are you yeah. listening to next? Oh, just whatever comes up. It's like random yeah. stuff, and she loves it. She, you know, she's dancing around the yeah, place. That's and... Yeah, my my son got like you know he's he, he it's pretty much the same. You know he he, he I give him um, artists to listen to. I go look up this guy, look up this band, look at the, the and the, but then he'll listen to like all their old stuff as well. Like he'll and then he'll he'll listen to it religiously. And then sometimes we might be in the car. And you know, I'm, let's say I'm listening to a like a, a Phil Collins record, you know, and, and there's a there's a there's a deep cut that comes on. He's singing along to it. Yeah. I go, how do you <laughs> how do you know how do you know like the third track of of Face Value? Face Value. You know, yeah. like how do you know, you know how do you know 
And he's singing along to it. I go, oh, because our dad, I, I listened to it on Spotify. I said, what, yeah. the whole album? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, so so it's kind of it's kind of like a double-edged sword for, for, for most for most parents, I guess, but most um, up-and-coming musicians uh, that want to get into music is that, you know, yeah, the, it, it's all there for them to listen to, but I guess it's a, it's a case of how they're listening to it and, you know, whether they're absorbing the, oh, this is the artist, you know, this is the person, this is the album that it's off, and listening to the whole album in its, in, in its entirety, the way, in its entirety, it, the way in which the artist met you to listen to it, yep. you know, Side A, side B, or a CD with all these singles in order of the way, so that way you get a nice flow. Like you, you get become, you get like an emotional attachment to the album. Yep. You know, so you know, so um, I mean, I mentioned Face Value. I mean, I'll be just, I, I go back to that album now and then and just listen to it from 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 where to go, and it's yep. it's incredible. Yeah, well, it's but such a great record, you know. With the with the Phil Collins stuff, but seriously, that that's the album for me. That that was my yeah. that yeah, was how killer. I sort of came yep. into the whole, you know. Uh, ah, Phil okay. Col- so that Phil was your Collins. that was that, that was, was your introduction my, to that's Phil. right. So it was Phil right. Collins first, and then it was early Phil Collins, and then back to Genesis. Yeah, and, and then around that around that time, because Genesis sort of came back with um. With it, with a new sort of uh, with that song, I can't dance. You know, ah, that's can't right. Dance. Yeah, dance. Yep. yep, that that Great kind record. of yeah. So then I went back and listened to the older sort of proggy Genesis and kind of got into that. You know, so did uh, you get into when 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 Peter Peter Gabriel was in in the band, like when he first started when he, when he those first couple of albums? Because I that, I, I, the, I, didn't, I wouldn't the, say I got into it. I li- I listened to it. Listened to and, it. And, yeah, and, that's all you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And man, the geez, Phil's drumming on that on those records. I mean, on everything. You know, Phil's one of those one of those drummers that that constantly gets left out as uh, you know. Uh, as as not being referred to as a great drummer, he what he is, he's still with us, so he's still a great drummer, you know. Um, and my my introduction was obviously in the air tonight when I first heard that, and um, but and then got, I got, I didn't buy that record, but and then I I think it was when um, obviously no jacket required. Then I went back and bought the second his second record, which was Hello, I Must Be Going. Um, which had some great songs. I had the cover version of, you know, You Can't Hurry Love and stuff like that. But, but um, I mean, obviously the first album, Face Value. But, yeah, But Serious, that's a great record too, man. I mean, uh, um, his drum sounds on that record are more that gated, big, roomy sound, you know, whereas on on Face Value, if you, know, if you, have, if you go back and listen to that, the only track that sounds that has the big gated drum sound is in the air tonight the rest of it's all dry and kind of roomy but <clears throat> and totally different that's why i love that first record because of that you know it's got that one track where you know that phil's coming it's gonna yeah. come <laughs> it, crank it up yeah and, and then and then the rest of then the rest of the album's like totally sort of dry and and Man, some of these gurus on those on, on on some of those songs are just fantastic. I encourage anyone to really kind of have a listen to that record. You know. Yep. Well, I, I encourage anyone to deep dive Phil Collins, not not just as a singer, but deep dive his drumming because he, you know, he played he's played played on Phil Bailey's stuff. You know, he he um he Chinese the Chinese Wall the, uh, the, album. Yeah, yeah, Chinese Wall. That's right. Because around that yeah. time, they they that's when they um. 
him, Phil Collins, Nathan East, and Phil Bailey wrote that uh, wrote Easy Lover. Wrote Easy Lover. That's correct. So it's around. It was around that time. Yep. So and then, yep. I you know I, I in my head it's like okay they they had this conversation right they. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, Phil Bailey, can you come and sort of sing on the song? And and it's like, oh, yeah, only if you come and play drums on my, on my uh, Chinese Wall song. You know what I mean? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I reckon that's probably how it, went, it, it, it probably more than likely went down. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think a lot of I think a lot of the stuff at that time was like that too. I mean, you you look you listen to um, uh like on But Seriously, um, oh, man, what's his name? He passed away recently. Um, David, uh, uh, David. David Crosby. David Crosby. So yeah. if, if he he featured on that But Seriously album, but then David Crosby's album, which was around that same sort of time, Phil's playing drums on it and he's singing backup cr- vocals on it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. You know? yeah. It's like they're doing, like doing favours for each other. You know? That's right. That's which, right. Which is amazing, which is great for, for us, the listener. Oh yeah, you know, because yep. we get to hear these these collaborations, which you know may not have happened at all. You know, so um, I mean, what a great period of music, though. Like that that, that whole eighties, the mid eighties, late eighties. Um, Phil Phil was king, man. He he could do no wrong, you know. And and I think that I think a lot of people hated that. I kind of loved it, man. I couldn't get enough of the guy. It was just, it was just great, you know. And then, you know, with the Genesis, the Invisible Touch album, you know that that catapulted them into another, you know. But they were always huge, though. That, that was the thing. Not, not many, not many people realize that Genesis was always a well, already a well-established act in the states, even before Phil was the solo guy, you know. So. Um, but it, it, you know, it helped it, it yeah, helped their cause a little bit as well. So, um, you know, but um, oh, I love all that stuff, man. Yeah, you know, that's great. And you know, there, there was yeah. a lot of sort of also sharing of the musicians too. I mean, you list, you know, like um, I mentioned Nathan East before. Nathan East, you know, said played on, played on it. Well, played on and co-wrote Easy Lover, but then you know, Nathan East ends up joining Phil's band when Lee Sklar left. For a little while to go that's and do right. something else. That's right. You know, and that's then right. um, yeah, was that you know, was that, yeah. that band? Was that when Ricky Lawson joined? Yeah, Ricky Lawson. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I saw that. I saw that tour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that was, was the, that, that was. The, I think the um, both the sides. CD, yeah, the CD was live in Paris or something like that. So you know, yeah. when they're they're so like we've... they're walking and dancing around the round. It was in the round. Yeah. You know. Oh, okay. It's so like, I saw the. T- I remember seeing the tour before that, which came to Melbourne, and it was uh, sort of like a, almost like a double story type house, you know, sort of setting, you know. Um, and but you know, Ricky Ricky Lawson was playing drums and Nathan East was playing bass, um, and I think that was on the back of that Both Sides album. I think it was called Both Sides, and they were touring that. And um, but. Um, you know Chester Thompson, who was always always his long term guy that played drums with Phil. Um, I saw him do you know the Butt Series tour, which was the big the big tent, you know yep. the, the yep, circus yep. tour. So I got to see that in '88. I was at '89. I was at definitely '89. You know I got to see Ricky Lawson do that gig as well. So and it's you know they they'll both both shared the, the similarities of what the the Phil's vibe. Of you know what what Phil uh, how Phil constructed his drum parts and all that sort of stuff, um, 
they really tip their hat to it, you know. So, um, and it's well, let's let's put it this way: it's you know, it's not hard to not do that because the parts are great, and you got to play you got to play those those grooves the way they should be played, you know. Um, but I do believe Phil Collins was you know, Phil was a real sort of very meticulous guy as far as the way his band sounded and stuff like that. You know, um, he handed out notes at the end of rehearsals and at the end of gigs and to keep everyone on their toes. And, and his, but his whole thing was not to be difficult to work with. And I don't, I'm from by all accounts he wasn't, but he just wanted to give the audience that that. Uh, level of consistency you know from show to show i think that was his that was his thing you know so you know it's so the so it wasn't quite a jammy band if you know what i mean a lot of a lot of things were set in stone you know so um yeah um and so i I think there's 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 always merit for that and there's a discipline as a musician to do that you know if that's what the gig requires you know um but Jesus, when you're playing those songs, they're so drum orientated. Yeah, you know, it's like how could you not have fun? Even if I'm going to play the same thing over and over every night, it's like I'm totally cool with that. You know, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, so a couple, and, and you know, going back to that whole sort of that era with the a lot of the musicians sort of playing with each other and doing different things, and a couple of very early. VHS performances that I remember seeing as as a sort of an up and coming drummer. The yeah. first one was Eric Clapton's Twenty Four Nights. Oh yeah, at, at the Royal Albert Hall. So so Steve Ferroni was playing drums. Nathan yeah. East was playing bass. So, so yeah. he had like three three different three bands, three different performances, and one was it was a four yeah it was a four piece. So it was it was uh, Greg Gaines on keyboard, Steve Ferroni on drums. Nathan East on bass and Clapton on guitar. So that was his yep. first sort of band. And then the second one was his blues with um, uh, Jamie Odaker, Odaker, yeah. Odaker yeah, the, the drummer, yep. with yep. his sort of blues band. And then at the end, um, Ferroni came back with East and Phil and Gaines, but then there was a, like a brass section and, a, you know, it was this massive thing. So Correct. Yep. that was my first sort of seeing Steve Ferroni like, Watched, you know, sort of studying him, and then not long yeah. after that, I got the but seriously live VHS tape for Christmas. Yep, and then <laughs> Killer. then I'm sort of into that. So it was like swapping the tapes out of the machine. So it was watching Twenty Four Nights, <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> watching Nathan East oh, playing bass, and then watching studying Lee Scalar playing bass, and then you know yeah. going back to the whole. And next thing you know, Nathan East playing bass for Phil Collins. It's like, oh man, this is. This yeah. is great. This is nuts. Yeah. This is great. You yeah, know, it's so yeah. good. It's yeah. fabulous. I remember seeing. I saw Steve Ferrone play with Clapton. I saw that yep. that that lineup with Greg Fillingaines and and Nathan East and um, oh wow. And they played the, they they played the tennis center here and it was it was phenomenal. And and the support actor was was actually Tommy Emmanuel. So and that was ninety one or ninety two. You know when when did you start playing with Tommy? That Tommy was like uh, late nineties. I started. I uh, was ninety six to ninety seven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and then he we. I was in his band for two years, and then he left Australia to go and live in the UK to, you know, I guess pursue uh, a different career over there, more to be closer to Europe. So and and doing more the solo thing there. So so um, yeah, kind of. Uh, it was it was you know, 
Um, being on the road with Tommy was was an absolute education, man. You know, in how on how to play at your peak every night because that's what he did, and you know, you you, you couldn't help but just keep up with him. <laughs> and it was so great because it was so great to do that, you know. And plus, I was we were younger too, man. We're like I was twenty twenty six, going on twenty seven, sort of vibe. So I had energy to burn, and it was, you know, we we would it was it was a phenomenal time in my life. I think you know, looking back on it, like and playing with uh, a band of we're all the same age too, because that by that time he had a whole new band, and we're all younger cats, sort of thing, and. um and a, a different sound, and, and and we were playing some of the stuff that he recorded um, with American musicians too, like you know the, the an album called Can't Get Enough was all done in the states. So he had like Tom Breckline was playing drums on on tracks, and um, you know, and even on the Journey album, you know that album. I mean, Carlos Vega played on a, 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 the majority of that record, you know. So so learning. So yeah, you know, I was very lucky. To, to, to kind of um, ha- having had to to learn those parts or learn the learn, learn the vibe you know and so um um the, yeah and playing with Tommy was just it's just phenomenal a- anyone who's played with him will tell you that you know so it's not just not just me so uh, just I, my mind's just gone back to what you what you were just saying about Phil Collins how he would sort of come out of a rehearsal or a performance and he'd have notes for everybody. So yeah, working, yeah. With, working with, I'm not saying it was like that with Tommy, I, I don't know, but what what sort of uh, direction were you getting, especially being sort of young cats coming into it, what kind of direction were you getting from him? Was it had, Did it have to be a, a set way, a set part of the show, or did it, was it sort of open for him? Well, because he, you know, he needs to be able to take off when he needs to, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, look, we, we were uh, just thinking back to the to the first f- band rehearsals. You know, we obviously got 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 given um, you know tapes of the repertoire. So we, I, I basically transcribed and learned the stuff, wrote it all out, so I could practice it at home. And then by the time we got to the first rehearsal, I'd already kind of absorbed it and learnt it. So I played it like the record. And then once I think once we kind of got everything started sounding where it should sound, we uh, we would all take a little bit of liberty, you know, or some risks in in the music, not not to overplay, but just to add something that might you know sort of you know trigger something in the in the night. I don't know. I mean, you know. Um, um, I mean, I, 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 from memory, yeah, Tommy would, would, would tell me to play certain things, you know, a certain way. And, and, and you, you just got to go, yeah, of course, absolutely. You know, you, you might have strayed away from the original concept. Um, so you need to be kind of reined in a little bit, you know, and, and, and be told, hey, I think you should, we should do it like this, you know, or more to the point, you should do it like this, you know, him telling me. And, um, and, you, and, you, and, and you know, you, 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 you have to accommodate. And, 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 and there should be no problem with that. Any musician that's faced with that, it's not done with any malice or, or to tell you that you're playing something badly. It's just, it's just not the right thing at the time to do, to play. 
So, and he's got ears like, I mean, he could hear everything, what was going on, you know. Um, you know, he's, 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 he, you know, he would turn around sometimes and just kind of, you know, look at me and go, come on, man, let's go. You know, and I knew the look like, all right, let's go. You know, <laughs> so I would, I, I would, I would, I would, uh, yeah, you'd react to that. And so, but as far as musical notes, you know, there was a few, but it was all done with the, the, the with the, the greater good <laughs> in making the show sound better and, and things like that, you know? Um, but he liked to, he liked to joke around on, on stage too. Sometimes he'd start the song, a little bit differently and we'd all look at each other and try to figure out <laughs> what he's doing, you know, and then, yeah. And then we just jump into it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, um, so rather me counting something in, he's already started it and it's like, oh, okay, you know, gotcha. No worries. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll catch up. You know, yeah. yeah, we'll catch up. We'll catch yeah. up and, you know, but then everything falls into place, you know, and, uh, uh, yeah, they, they were great, you know, they were great times, man. When, you know, we're playing, you know, to land that gig where you're playing instrumental music, um, which is like for me, it's a, it's it's it. You know, yeah, I'm into jazz and fusion and all that sort of stuff, and I love all that all, all that 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 stuff. And um, to play with someone of that ilk, that that is Tommy, that he can just play the pants off anything, um, was a real special time, man. You know, and and, um, and the great thing is too that. Um, he he's a drummer too. He plays drums, so he he would often get on the drum kit to play, and I'd go out the front and listen to what my drum sound in front of house, and he would jam with the guys in the band, you know, and uh, he was yeah he taught me a lot, man. He really did. It was just so, so just on Tommy as the drummer then. So Tommy Tommy the Tommy the drummer having Jerry the drummer there. So would he? Would he um, sort of say, hey, man, just let me jump on and try and play it this way type thing? Was he that kind of? No. No. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't that sort of guy. He would never push you off the kit and go, I want it this way. It was like it was never that, you know. Yeah, the, only one, the only thing that he showed me, which was, which was great, uh, was a brush thing that he wanted me to, to phrase it a certain way. Um, um, and he, show, he goes, oh, I do it this way. And and it made perfect sense because it did have a different sound to it, you know. And the way he sh- the way he played it, and the way he showed me the the sticking of it, um, it created yeah. It was a different. It was a different. It was a different flavor. And so I took that on. I went, yeah, that's great. What what, what is it that you're playing? And he played, and I'd study it, and then you know I'd. You know, because I used to play you know, on a phone book with him. You know, like that was part of the show. We mic up a phone book, and so yeah, yeah, it was great fun, man. Yeah, so that was like a feature where it was just me and him playing like a couple of tunes together. He plays acoustic, and I just play brushes on a phone book. And so there was one thing it was like a dun 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 sort of thing, like a train. And um, I kind of had it down, but he played it. He played it for me, and it sounded different. And and he showed me the way he did it, and to this day, I kind of uh, I've got that in the in the bag of tricks, so to speak. So um, <laughs> that's great. But he but and the thing is, he's a big Steve Gadd fan too. Okay. So if you if you any any time during the night, I went he would just turn around and just give me the biggest smile because I knew that he loved it. <laughs> and, <laughs> 
and I, and he's like, yeah, we would often talk about that. Even to this day, whenever he, whenever he comes to town, I, we try and catch up for a coffee or something like that. And all we, all we talk about is Steve Gadd. So that's, that's you know, cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. So on Steve Gadd, are you, are you going to see James Taylor in April? Well, I'm look, man. That's a tough one because I've I've got like some commitments and shit like that. But yep, I'm yep. hoping I'm hoping to I'm hoping to. Um, if I can't get a ticket here in Melbourne, I'll probably try and find one interstate and you know go yep. and see the gig. So um, oh, it'd be great, no doubt. It's got, he's got the A team this time around. So um, I, did you? I don't know if you've listened to the Steve Gadd Spotlight podcast that we did. So it was myself, it was myself, um, Gordo, Rittmeister, Hamish Stewart, um, Darren Frugia, and my old drum teacher from New Zealand, Lance Phillip. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's a real gad deep dive and, and we found some sort of, you know, tracks that he's played on that maybe some people didn't know about, and you know, not just the normal sort of stuff. So, sure, yeah, go, go, yeah we're we're big uh, big gad fans here. Your gad, your gad geeking out, mate. Yeah, gad, gad geeking out. That's right. So, what was some of the more obscure stuff that I probably probably don't know he played on? Well, you you probably know them. One of the tracks I picked was "In This Love Together." Yep, El Jero. Yep. Um, because of that little sort of, he does that. The straight you know, thing at, par- yeah, at the par- end. Yeah, but then he does that sort yeah. of paradiddly thing that he does at oh, yeah. the break. Yeah. Um, Hamish chose, like, it was a Joe Cocker track. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because jo- he played yep. with Joe Cocker. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, and then there was, I think Gordo, it was Foots, wasn't it? Oh, hang on, let me, I've got it here. What's that? So that was one of Gordo's, and then um, oh Bob, Bob uh, um, Lance chose a it was a Bob James track. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. And yeah, there was a couple others in there. Yeah, yeah. If you get yeah, a chance, yeah, go. Great. Yeah, listen. Yeah, to I'll it. check it's, it out. Cool. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, we just sort of you know we we just we just sort of waffled on about how. You know, we perceive the tracks and great. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just good. It's it's probably more about us those podcasts, <laughs> spotlight podcast. We <laughs> we did a great. we did a Jeff Beccaro one. We've done the yeah we've done the Gad one. We did a Jacko Pistorius one. We nice, did a, great. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, well, so, yeah. Back, the, the, the thing with with Gad or with Steve, Mister Steve Gad, as I like to call him, Doc God. God. Doctor, Doctor, Doctor God, Doctor God, Steve Gadd. He's, you know, how old is he now? Is he, he's, he's pushing eighty. You know, and his his playing is. I don't know if you've seen some of that recent. There was a recent gig he him and his band did in some some jazz festival in Europe, and it was only about probably a couple of months ago, and. It's it's on it's on YouTube. It sounds incredible. Whoever mixed it live is is should be credited. It sounds unbelievable, and you put it through your your your, your home stereo system or something like that. Um, Gaddy's just playing with such 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 ferocity in his playing. When he wants to put the the pedal down, 
bang, yep. he's there. And such it's the whole, you know, the whole such body finesse. too, eh? The whole, yeah, the whole body into it, the foot. Yeah. Well, the whole thing, it's it's totally invested. You know, it's invested in the music. You can see it and you can hear it. And that's something that's never that that's never gone away with him, you know, as as we get older, that you, you, some players, it kind of lingers off. But he he's he's just just um, plays with such intent. And, you know, and listen to the way, you know, him and, you know, Mikey Landau play in that band too. You know, they they they, they just don't let up. You know, they it's 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 perfection every single note they play, and that's the thing that that gets me. That these guys have been around for so long, have done everything, and you think, you know, they might just it might just kind of um you know fall off the back of a truck sometimes. You know what I mean? And they they might just phone it in. It's it's not so with these guys, you know. It's not it's not so these guys, man. These guys play with as much sort of ferocity as a teenager, you know. And I, I think that's that's something to really uh, ins- you know aspire to, you know. I know I try and like you know be like that when I'm playing, you know. It doesn't matter what gig I'm doing. It's like you know it might be the last one I'm going to play, you know. Make it a, make it a good one, you know. Yeah, <laughs> make, yeah. It, make it a good gig, you know. Yeah. Um, you know his interview he did with Rick Rick, uh, Rick Beato. Beato. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was great. It was a very open Steve Gad. We talked about a lot of stuff, and nothing was off off. Uh, you know, off, off. You know, you you couldn't talk about. It. He talked about his, his his addictions and things like that, and. Um, you know, we got to meet him a couple of times. I got to meet him in 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 Melbourne, like two thousand and two or, or three, I think it might have been, um, just for Yamaha. And um, um, it was me, Farooj, the Yamaha rep, a good friend of mine, Enzo Faela. He was deal, and Gordo would remember Enzo as well. You know, um, he was our Yamaha guy back then. Um, and Gad was in town with James Taylor, and um, he organised the coffee and. Um, yeah, you know, so we, we 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 met him at the hotel, and we went around a corner to of all places a a, a Starbucks because that's what he what he drinks, you know. Anyway, we go to a Starbucks and we order in coffee. And we sit down, and you know we we we're just he's such a such a lovely guy, and he started talking about drums. He was like really open to the whole thing, you know. So so we kind of um were asking. Questions about you know certain sessions and certain recordings and and basically had to tell us to he said look guys there's a period in my life where I don't remember much about it about that stuff and and it was and it was and it was kind of like what he brought up on that interview you know he was really open about that and so um, but some of those some some of my favorite albums um, he probably doesn't even remember. Cutman, you know, like, yeah, that's right. Like yep. the Lee Rittnell, uh "Feel the Night" album, you know, '79 or something like that. I mean, there's some phenomenal drumming on that. And we asked him about that record; he doesn't remember much about the making of that. Actually, is, you, now, you know, now you say that that Lee Rittnell, one of the Lee Rittnell tracks was one of Fruge's tracks oh, in that podcast that yeah, we did. Yeah, and and yeah, and, probably, and Fruge actually talks about that. He mentions that story that you've just yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, how you yeah, guys went for a coffee somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible. It was just you know, yeah. um, um, you know, such an iconic figure. And we're having a 
we're having a, a coffee with this guy. It's like, yeah. man, <laughs> far out. You know, so lucky, you know, so so fortunate to be in that position sometimes, you know, as as luck would have it. But, you know, I, you know, like we, you mentioned Gordo and Hamish and, and you know, and like they're, they're Sydney players, man. I don't get a chance to see many Sydney cats, you know. Um, and, and, and when Gordo moved to Melbourne to do the Steve Weisard show, um, um, I was out doing gigs. And he would he would come and come and see come and hang out, and then he would invite me to the taping of a, of a show, and I would hang out with him. And our our friendship sort of uh, started back in ninety oh it would have been ninety four ninety five I think yeah you know, and so and, and you know Gordo to me is like the next the next tier level player man he really is and he's so knowledgeable and he's the all rounder um, that I aspire I aspire to be you know it's just um, and and the fact that you know what what we all share is a common love of of music and playing and and because I've been doing these gigs with Daryl I bump into Gordo a lot um, on these festival gigs because he'd be back in like he'd be part of that house band in which he backs you know, four or five different artists in the day. So I get to see Gordo play like with Richard Clapton. He might do the Eurogliders. He might do Glenn Shorick. He might do, you know, Kate Sobrano or something like that, you know. It's, it's either him or or, or, um, or Pete Drummond, you know, does that gig, you know, does put, gets put into the super band sort of vibe, you know. So 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 I, I, I love seeing Gordo play and, and just hanging out with him and like it's 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 lovely man, you know. Hamish not so much. I know of Hamish heritage and he's playing, but I I I I've only met him maybe met him once or twice, but I'm a I'm a total total fan, if you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. Know, someone like that, it's hard not to be, you know. I went to a I went to a gig last weekend uh, last weekend, last week, um Jade McRae. So yes. I went and watched her play, and, and I also interviewed her before the, the gig. And um, right. anyway, so Hamish was, was part of her band, and, and this that was the first time I've seen Hamish play in sort of a sort of a soul. What's that bubble? That, did you see the bubble that popped up on my screen then? A, a thumb. You went like that, that and a thumb I did, came I didn't up. Do, do it again. Hang, hang on. Mate. It just saw your thumb. You went, it went like that, and then, then the bubble came up. That's fucking weird. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what the hell? What the fuck was that? Um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, went, you, so, went so Jade, yeah, and, Jade, and Jade, was Jade's gig, gig right? and Hamish, was, Hamish was, was doing the gig. So that's the first time I'd seen Hamish play in that sort of setting. And I tell you what, you know, he's, he's, our, he's our Sydney gad. Yeah, Like yeah, his... Yeah. Like his flow and his feel and his solid, like you know, it, it was a big band too. So there was there was two keyboard player, two keyboard players. There was uh, four backup singers. There was Jade. There was a guitarist. There was a bass player, and there was a trumpet, a saxophone, and a uh, trombone. Right, and nice. Hamish, Hamish was the boss man. Like they just. He, he, yeah, he. Uh, how yeah. do I say it? He just sort of he just commanded the time, because yeah, there's great. so much going Absolutely. on with that, you know. And and you know, it's quite a wide room. They're on different sides yeah. of the stages. I don't know how they could hear each other, but yeah. Hamish was sort of right in the middle of that, and he just 
he just held it down, and it just it blew me away. I, I haven't yeah. so I haven't seen someone sort of sit in a pocket like that for a show that sort of diverse. It, yeah, it, like right. in you know being in the same room as that was quite was quite profound to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 sure it would have been. You know, um, I mean, I mean, you know, there was another another great drummer in Sydney around. You know, when I was kind of coming in and out of there. Uh, was Kerry Buchanan? You know, Kerry. There's an, you know, another one that's that's like right into the Jeff Beccaro, Gad, the LA, the LA sound. You know, and um, and and, wow, he's he's another one that's next level. You know, um, yeah. Well, Kerry was on he the can, can play piano. Jeff Beccaro, can, you know, yeah, yeah. You he, know. He's a br- brilliant songwriter. He was on the Jeff, Beca- Jeff Beccaro podcast that we did. Together. Of course he would have been absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you was, know, um, yeah, yeah man. Great. Yep. Well, I Sydney mean, cats. <laughs> the Sydney Cats. Now, so we're like we're like an hour fifteen into this recording, right? So this is this would care. have to be the long. No, no, me neither. I got. I got all, <laughs> but, but this would have to be the longest it's taken for me to ask this quit to to do this, right? All right, Jerry, let's roll it back. To how it all began. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yes. So you not again? You're not again. <laughs> no, not, you know, I, I'm I'm curious on how it sort of all started for you. I know I know there's some uh, musicians in your family, some heavy musicians in your family. So I'm keen to sort of hear how it all sort of started out for you. And 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 I believe you started on piano, right? And then Correct. you moved to drums. So I'm, I'm interested yeah. in how. How, how you ended up becoming a drummer and not sticking with the piano? Well, pretty much because I was really shit at playing the piano. Uh, <laughs> and I found it really, really frustrating. It was just, it's it's not an instrument that I, you know, can kind of play or try to play naturally, you know. So that was always, it was always really, really hard. It just never connected. The dots, literally the dots didn't connect with with. With my with my head, um, uh, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I've got I've got a MIDI controller here, like a keyboard thing. That's that's what it is. It's a MIDI controller for for other things. You know, um, but um, so I, I mean, I, I tried bass there for a while too, but um, that that was that was that was working out pretty good. But I was still really really young. You know, I mean, when I learning piano, I was five or six, and it's you know. It just wasn't working out. And then bass was probably when I was eight or nine. Um, you know, I was I, I was wanting to go outside and play, kick the footy around, you know, and play cricket and football. And, and you know, I was always very active sports-wise um, in that in that department. Um, but drumming, you know, I just asked my dad, I said, Is it, can I learn drums? You know, and he said, well, you know, well, you've given up on two other instruments. You know, what makes you think you can try you, you know, you might like, you know, I said, well, that's it. I might like it, you know. So, um, and I ended up loving it. I ended up loving, um, taking lessons. I loved practicing. Um, you know, I didn't have a drum kit for the first probably three months of, 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 um, taking lessons. So it was all done with tables and chairs and stuff like that. And so, so um, was that, was that dad know. going, all right, we've spent money on these other instruments. Correct. You might not stick to it. <laughs> okay, Correct. Okay. It was definitely <laughs> that. And I yeah. don't blame him either, man, because I mean, it was, it was <laughs> we, you know, my, my father was, was a working musician and we weren't, 
rolling in money and you know all that sort of stuff and it was it was dad did his absolute best to raise you know two boys you know and uh, and a family um all that sort of stuff that goes along with that um and so so yes he was obviously you know apprehensive at first and but you know I found a we he found a great teacher for me and I I, I didn't look back you know and so um and by that stage, my brother was already playing guitar, and so he was already quite advanced uh, as a uh, learning his instrument. Um, and I, it took me a while to try and uh, you know catch up to that, so we could at least jam together, you know, um, and not not sound terrible, <laughs> sort of thing. But it was it was it was there was always music in the house, in the home. That was the thing. It was I was exposed. To so much at home at an early age, um, not only what what whatever I was listening to on the radio, which was the music of the day. Um, uh, you know, my father was into classical Latin music. You know, so romantic, new romantic type music, piano players and things like that. But it wasn't until my brother started bringing home jazz records with guitar players on them that I I go, oh, what's this? This is interesting. This is different. And I got into listening to to, to, to to jazz and and we'll, myself and my brother were buying Beatle records, you know, so we, we were heavily into the Beatles and then I discovered Kiss and then I discovered Van Halen and, you know, then I was playing along playing along to what, whatever was on the radio, you know, and, and that, that was a real – and just – and you know this, Steve, when you do that, you're kind of learning songs without even knowing it. You're learning songs. So I was learning – so I was learning that sort of repertoire without really trying. Um, so subconsciously, I'm, I'm kind of absorbing um, a lot of music, um, but I was also absorbing a lot of the jazz stuff and, and listening to and learning uh, standards, learning melodies, hearing, not knowing what the, the, the title of the songs were, just really abs- uh, absorbing it. And so um, that all came that all came to be an advantage much later down the track, you know. Um, Playing in little combos and things like that, and jamming with other with other musicians who could play jazz standards and stuff like that and stuff of that nature, and so I would already kind of know the song without having to try and figure it out, you know. And let, you know, and then, but when you're playing jazz and things like that, it's it it you you are playing the song. You're playing a song. You're following the melody and you're following, you know, there's a swing pattern you can play. You can just lock it down and let, let the others do all the work as a beginner. You know what I mean? Just to play, just to get the whole thing going, you know, to feel a swing pocket, you know? And then from there, I kind of, you know, obviously was exposed to, you know, some, uh, some Gene Krupa and some Buddy Rich, the big band stuff. Um, and, you know, and then you start to realize, oh, the, 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 the drumming element of it, it um, you know, can really expo- um, expand your horizon in playing these tunes. You know, developing your independence, de- developing your, your solo ideas, you know. And luckily for me, I had a drum teacher who gave me ideas to work on, you know, who was right into players like Buddy Rich and Steve Gadd and Picaro and those sort of players. So I was really lucky in that regard that my teacher was, and he exposed me to like, you know, like I remember the the, the, the pinnacle moment for me, which kind of turned my head around, was the Chick Corea album, the, the Electric Band, the first album with Dave Weckl. 
I remember him vividly writing on the back of my manuscript book, Chick Corea, Electric Band, and he wrote in brackets, yeah. got a match. <laughs> and then there was another album, yeah, and then there was another album that he said Steps Ahead, Steps Ahead, which I couldn't find, but I did order the, 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 the Chick Corea album. And that, I remember putting the needle on that record and hearing that first track rumble and just like going, what the hell is this? It's, this is the, the jazz and the rock that I've been listening to you know, obviously that's the fu- the fusion element, right? So then I went nuts. So I was around, I was around four, fifteen when I first heard that, and that that to me maybe um, catapulted me into listening more into that style of music more. And I went back and listened to early Chick Corea with the Return of Forever, and obviously I discovered Mahavishnu and listened to that music and Billy Cobham and you know obviously Lenny White and you know, but all the while listening to what you know the new players were doing, like you know. The Weckles, and then I got introduced to Vinny, then I got introduced to Gad, and you know, <laughs> the wonderful world of jazz fusion, you know, which now doesn't ha- doesn't have a serious, um, a bad rap about it, you know, like fusion back, it was like a, it was like a dirty word, you could not say <laughs> you you were into fusion, you couldn't say that. Yeah. Now it's like I listen to Snarky Puppy, all these bands, I go, well, that's fusion, man. You, they, oh no, it's funk. I go, no, it's not. It's fusion. That's what it is. Let's bring that label back because that's what it is. So it's, it's an amalgamation of those different styles. That's what fusion represents. And that's why I think fusion is such a such a, a great word to describe something. You know, because if it's if it's if it's rocky, but it's got some jazz over, like everyone's kind of improvising or whatever it is and taking risks. You know, well, we're, we're now we're implementing. Another style of music into it, so we're fusing those fusing those things together. That's what it yeah. means, yeah, you know. That's that it is. It's simple. It's a pretty simple concept, you know. So, um, so like, so th- those early stages was was uh, being exposed to that, um, to that, to that music, and and anything around me too. Any anybody that showed me something new, I devoured it. I listened to it all the time. You know, I would make a cassette of it and play it you know, religiously and then try and play along to it too, no matter how hard and or or how out of depth it was. I didn't care. I just tried to play it, you know, Um, and it it probably sounded horrible, but but that's the learning curve that I took, you know. Um, And so that kind of made me a better player when I was ready to start jamming with, with other musicians and start playing. You know, and then getting gigs or what have you. You know, um, the, the, uh, not saying I had the perfect training ground. I mean, I mean, you, it, it it differs for everybody, right? So, um, but I, you know, definitely taking lessons was was a was something that I really enjoyed, and above all, practicing was something that I really enjoyed, which I still enjoy today. I'm still working on things, trying to be a better player, and work on different aspects of my technique or my ideas or whatever, you know. They may not come out of my playing straight away because of, of the gigs that I'm doing now, you know, don't expect me to play some of this stuff on a Daryl gig because it's just not musically appropriate, you know. Like like we did when we were 15 and 16, whatever we learnt that day was coming out at the uh, cabaret gig. On Absolutely. Night, right? you, you gave it a <laughs> shot, man. You just did it. You just did it, right? And then, and then, and then, and then, if you're lucky, you actually played it right, you know, and not. And, and if not you're lucky, and if you're yeah. lucky, you got asked to come back next week. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right, you know. <laughs> but those, but those, those, those doing those sort of gigs—that's the, you know, 
it was the perfect opportunity to trial to trial that stuff, you know, um, because there were, you know, you're not being filmed, not like today where everyone's got a single phone. You, you go and yeah. you go and do a, go do a filling gig, and then someone's there right there with a phone videoing. It's like, well, you, you know, you're kind of sight reading this stuff. And it's like, man, you know, this is this is not what I signed up for. You know, I, I can't stretch out for starters because I'm not. I don't know the music that well. I'm still reading it. You know, maybe come back in three weeks' time when I've absorbed the music and. You know, I'm not. I haven't got my heads buried in the charts. You know, um, then you're more than more than welcome to to, to film it. But uh, and back in those days, I, mean, I didn't have to worry about that stuff. So we just took risks. You know, just took <laughs> yeah. risks. And you know, yeah. the worst the worst you got told was, "Hey, man, don't do that again." And you learn, and you learn really quickly not to do it again. Perfect, easy. You know, you can don't, I? Don't have to do can I anything. just? Can I just jump back to, you know, you, you came home and you, you said that you wanted to, you told your dad you wanted to learn drums, right? So where did the idea of drums come from? Did you see someone? Did you hear someone? No. Or were you running, were you running out of instruments, right? Probably, <laughs> probably running out of instruments, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think it was something, you know, it was just, I just wanted to be part of it. You know, I wanted to be part of it, you know. And so I thought drums was, might be something that I could do. Might be something. I still haven't figured that out yet, Steve. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> well, these things take these things take time, Jerry. Absolutely, man. You know, and so it was something that I thought. You know, I because I always I love loved music, and um, I thought I just wanted to be part of it. You know, part of something to play, try and play something. But yeah, once once the drumming thing was it anyone in particular? Probably Ringo. You know, listening to all those Beatles records and things like that, listening to that music. But I think it was music that drove me to play drums. It was music that drove me to play. Not drummers wanting to play drums. You know what I mean? And there's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. So it was something that I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to play music. How, well, I need to play music with somebody. So, you know, I wanted to play music with my brother and maybe dad. Um, so maybe I can learn, learn the drums. So that's pre- pretty much the answer to that question I, yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah. I, it's similar for me too but for me right. it was like um my my brother was the first drummer in my family so my younger brother so wow, he was getting go. yeah so we were part of this music, a country music club in our local region in in Masterton New Zealand so so once a month on a Sunday my dad would go down there and he would sit in with the band he would sing and then we would sort of go along. And then one one day, my my brother, my younger brother, he came home from school and he'd seen the the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra percussionist had come to his school to do a like a clinic, like a school sort of performance thing. And he came home. My brother came home and goes, "Dad, I want to learn drums." Right. So because dad dad was part of this this uh, country club. And he, he told the president of the country club that, you know, my, my brother's keen to play. And Tom Brooks was the president of the club. He goes, look, I've got a set of drums in the back of my van. He goes, you can you can take those drums and your son can learn how to play them on the proviso that once he's good enough, he comes and plays drums at the club. On, on a, the, first, the, the, the last Sunday of every month, he comes and sits in with the band. Cool. So we get this drum kit at home, and then my brother started getting these private lessons in the back shed, and I would sit out there and I would watch him play. Right. 
I, I would watch him get his lessons. My brother would do his lesson. My brother would leave. I'd jump on the drums. I'd do the lesson. Right. Fantastic. And then wow. it, it, that that brother that brother rivalry came in, and uh, and he went, "Ah, oh, you're getting better than me. Fuck this. I don't want to play drums anymore." So then I stuck to it, you know. There's, so it oh, was wow, never. That's it interesting, was isn't it? yeah, and it was never. I, I, you know, of course I knew of drummers, and I'd seen drummers in my dad's band and all that sort of stuff. But it was just yeah, for me it was like getting on the drums and going. Because actually, someone had told me if you can if you can pat your head and rub your stomach, and you can you can do it both both hands, right? You yeah. can play drums, right? So I I I taught I you know said to myself, well maybe I'll be a drummer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, That's it's, fantastic. You know, it, it was it was the music and the feeling. It wasn't yeah. the drummer. So, yeah, yeah, there you go, there, isn't it? Yeah. So that's so so we're very similar in that in that regard, you know. Um, and, and again, everyone's different with with how they start, you know. So um, you know, it's funny because sometimes things come in full circle. I love. I've got a bass guitar here. In, in, it's not in my studio. My son's got it at the minute. I got a bass. I can play a little bit. I can play a little bit. You know. I got a guitar. I got a guitar. I can play a little bit. I can come up with some things and, you know, work on whatever, you know. And it's more, for, for me, it's like a, a, a just a, a self-indulgent, having fun thing. You know, I'm not going to go, I can't go and do a gig. I'm not that qualified to do that, you know. But it's still, learning an instrument is like anything. It's a gateway to whatever you want to do, whether it's a, you know, something that's that's for fun, or, and then eventually it might become a profession. I didn't want it to become – I didn't know it was going to become what it was. You know, I had no idea, you know. Um, like I said earlier, like, you know, I, I really love sport. You know, I was – I was I love footy. I, when I, in, in high school, primary school, high school, I played football and cricket. Loved it. But then it came to a point where <laughs> you you got to make a decision where, um, you know, you, you, you value your hands and your feet – you know, not yeah, getting broken hands yeah. and, and stuff like that by, from, by playing football or getting hit by a cricket ball, you know. Yep. Um, and I wasn't a very tall player. I was like a rover. So, like, uh, when I was, in, you know, probably 14, 15, there was kids that were, like, double the size of me on the field. It's like, man, this is this is not for me anymore, it's you know. It's not going to work. <laughs> not going to work out. Not going to work out, you know. Um but um, yeah. So since then, I've you know, I I, I used to I, I would pick less non-contact sports like tennis, uh, squash, right. or or <laughs> golf. You know, yeah. And I got yep. I got heavily into those. You know, you um, obviously haven't been whacked in the head with a squash racket then, because uh, no, I, I, no, I haven't. But I have run I've run into the um I've run into the, the, the um the glass wall. The yeah. ba- oh yeah, heaps of times I used yeah, to do the, that. Yeah. Used to bang like you know. Get knocked yeah. out and whatever. Yeah. Oh, oh, those were the days, you know. Yeah, I don't know if you. I just took a photo of my wall because you can't yeah. see it, but you were yeah. talking about guitars. And oh, bases. there you go. Beautiful, yeah, man. so I've got, I've got beautiful. Yeah, I've got a couple, couple yeah, fenders a, up there. A fret, fretless and a and a jazz, but jazz fretless, jazz uh, fretted bass, and then I got a strap. So yeah, I've, I'm, man, we're we're similar in so many ways, aren't we? Like music, that's musically, good, and instrument wise, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think that's you know, it's becoming common. You know, I, I you know, like someone like Pete Drummond. You know, Pete, you know, he's he's so multi talented. Man, he plays keys, yeah. plays yep. guitar really great. Plays guitar, and he's, and plays he lead lead guitar. 
It lead was lead guitar, guitar well. lead, you know, and he sings yeah. great. So, you know, that, that sort of stuff doesn't surprise me, you know, with someone like that, you know, um, like having these, I'm not going to say hidden talents because they're not hidden. They're, 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 they're out there, you know, and, and I, 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 I think it's, in, I think it's inspiring actually, you know, I think it's inspiring to see that, that, you know, a drummer that can play other instruments. And also, I get excited when I hear, see a bass player or a guitar player get on a drum kit and play a groove. I love that, you know. And I think I got into more playing bass because I, I wanted to understand more about the other half of the rhythm section. You know, I want to, I want to understand more about um, what a bass player thinks about when a drummer's playing, you know, and, and also what a bass player thinks about as far as note lengths, the length of a note. Whether it's you know, it's going to be a quarter note, or it's going to be an eight, uh, you know, a half note, or a whole note. You know, the, the length of the note is so important to, you know, to 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 way to the way a groove comes together. You know, when drummers play a pattern, that's all it is at the minute. It's just a pattern. It's not a groove yet. It's only a groove when certain elements are in place, right? Now, from a drummer's point of point of view, it's it's time. Right? How good is your time? How even is your time? How um, how even is um, um, the space between your notes? Right. So now we're talking about space, note length, so to speak. Right. Um, so then it becomes a groove. But what all can, what can also sort of affect that is what the bass player does as far as note lengths. Are they rushing? Is it not? Finishing prop, you know, that sort of thing. You know, you listen back to a playback and you kind of, and, and we're all kind of scratching our heads going, what's not quite right here, you know? And it, it may, may well be any one of those factors. And, and I can bet you bottom dollar it would be, you know, because even if you're working to with a click or without a click, those elements are still present, you know? And then, and then it becomes what we commonly refer to as the feel, it gives us a feel. Right now, you listen to those Steely Dan albums. You know, most the, the, the earlier stuff wasn't done to a click track. It floats around a little bit, but the rhythm sections were done together, as far as what I'm led to believe, anyway. So they might be tracking one song, just one song in a three-hour call. You know, so they got time for it to settle in. You know, 30, 30, 30 takes though. <laughs> Absolutely, but that's what it takes. That's the thing. That's what it that, takes. That's what, yep. that's what it takes to get to get it sounding right. And you know, and when someone says to me, you know, oh, we're gonna we're gonna run it down once or twice and then record it, and I go, well, okay, well, can we at least kind of woodshed the woodshed the parts a little bit, like just refine it, not just play the first thing that comes to our mind, which may well be what is required for the track, but there may be something else we can do which might enhance it a little bit. You know, um, so, and when you're doing that, you, you, you're still trying to find the pocket. And that's where the click track comes in handy because that way we can kind of go, well, let's, let's, let's establish what the tempo is, do you want the song at? Then we don't have to worry about finding where the tempo is. We've, we've got it there. We've got the click track, you know, blasting through our, our, our headphones. So now all we're worried about is note placement and what notes are we going to play and how we're going to play them. So when you're not worried about the time element so much. The time is being taken care of by the click track. We follow the click track. Whether, now, whether we follow it ahead or behind, I try and like to follow it as, I try and be as bang on as possible. You know, I try and, you know, smother it, you know. And sometimes that doesn't work out. 
because it can make it sound, what, maybe too stiff. So you lay back on it a little bit. And then when you listen to it without the click track, the music can either, it's either going to suck <laughs> or it's going to breathe, you know. And, and so there's, there's so many variables in what we do, which, which dictates what a groove is and how it feels and how it sounds, you know. So when we listen back to those classic recordings, you know, yeah, some of them might be a first, second take. They got lucky. You know, but some of them they might have actually really kind of really honed in their their parts. So that way, they're not just trying to read the part anymore. They're they're now it's it's absorbed in their hands, and they're not thinking about how to play it. They know how to play it. You know what I mean? Uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I mean that's, that's I, I try and take that approach with everything too, Steve. You know, I really do. It's like if I'm you know if I'm doing something here in my studio. I could take all day on the track. It doesn't, you know, it's, if I don't feel right, I'll take a break and have a coffee, come back and do another take and, you know, do multiple takes. If you listen back, you know, that's different. That's a different thing when you're going into a studio with the, which doesn't really happen that much these days anymore, man. Everybody's setting up live. You know, I did one probably about two months ago and it was the best feeling. The whole band was there and we got so much done being all together because now we're bouncing ideas off each other. Hey, let's try – when we hit the bridge, let's try this bit. Oh, yeah, great. That, uh, that'll sound great. You know, whereas if that was – if we were recording remotely, that would take send two an days. Email. Oh. Send the email. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. And then it's, it's, it's back and forth, which is just another way of recording. But when it's all done in the room together, you, you, you everyone talks about capturing – you know, the magic, you know, Jeff Picaro talked about that a lot, like capturing the magic in the studio. That's what he was referring to. Like, you know, when everybody's on the same page, it's all gelled, everybody knows kind of what they're doing and then they go for it, you know. <laughs> That's the thing, you know. Yeah. You know, go, go, you know how I sort of made that little comment about the 30 takes thing, you know. Yeah. I, I, I've thought about this a few times and I think a big part of it too well this is just this is just me anyway but you know 30 takes is a lot of takes right just oh yeah totally absolutely so that's fucking cocaine doing that (laughs) 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 these these guys these guys guys are buzzing so right yeah they've just got to keep they've got to keep the buzz up so let's just go another you like we had it we had it at track two but, um, That's correct. You know, you know, I, 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 I can't head home right now. I'm too wasted. So let's do another. That's right. Yeah, another forty. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. You know, when, when I when I you know I might kind of like say that when you're doing thirty takes, you're actually not kind of doing. Th- I mean, unless they were all being recorded, yeah. But I mean, I'm talking about like you know you rehearse the tune maybe three or four times. And that process, and then you might do one or two takes, and then I can bet your bottom dollar it'll be the second take you know, where everybody kind of gravitates towards, you know, um, um, and possibly the third take. But anything after that, it's all bullshit. Yeah, that's that's right. It's all bullshit. That's I mean, the I can tell you, then bullshit. I, I agree yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I can tell you when I'm doing stuff here, like if I do like maybe five passes in a row and then listen back to take two, then listen back to take three, 
take four. It, by the time I get to take five, the the, the, the vibe's kind of gone. The, my energy levels maybe just sapped a little bit. So your I go back. You're fatigued. And, yep. Absolutely. You so you start hearing things that aren't even there. You know, uh, and that becomes really, really frustrating too. So yeah, um, but yeah, but the, you know, like there were there were obviously producers that back in the day they would do those amount of takes. You know, Phil Spector was known for doing that sort of bullshit, and obviously Steely Dan as well. But um, yeah, it gets it gets to a point where um, yeah, how much better can you play it? And I don't think you can play it better than after the second or third take, pretty much. Yeah, no, you know, I agree. You know. Um, you you sent me some stuff uh, a couple of days ago to listen to, right? So oh, one yeah. of those, yeah, one of those albums was, is, and one of those, uh, well, acts, I think, well, sorry, bands, is um, and and correct me if I'm saying the name wrong. Is it is it Luoda? Perfect. Did I say that right? No, it again. Man. Yep. Beautiful man. That's so good. I should have I should have been a linguistist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say that right, but yeah, you know no. what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yes, Luoda, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I, I've listened to that that uh, album that you sent me, or EP, or what, well, it's about five five or six tracks. I've listened to that a number of times in the last couple of days, and, man, I love it. That's great. And oh, great. Can you, yeah, really so can you tell that, me yeah. how, can you tell me how that sort of project came about? And, and sure. you know, my, from what I, well, let, let me roll back a little bit, like, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went and saw Wicked the musical, right? Yep. And the first musical I'd been to in a long time. So, and I was sitting, uh, you know, sort of on the rail, looking down at the pit, and a mate of mine was playing drums, and Mr. I was Glenn, just, Mr. Glenn, yeah, Glenn Wilson. Mr. Glenn Wilson, absolutely. So, yep. um, dear friend of mine, man, it's great. And you know, I was sort of, I, I loved the music, and then you know, there's a certain type of vocal that a that a theatre production has. You know, it's some. Um, it's not your um, standard sort of commercial type voice, right? You know yeah. what I'm saying, eh? Oh, I totally when know I, what you're when, talking about. When, yeah. when I started listening to, to this um, Luoda album, it's kind of like I was listening to musicians that had been in a pit that all of a sudden are out of the pit and they're going to do their own music and I, f- I fucking loved it, man. It's really, really great. <laughs> great. So, so now that, now that, I, that I've, I've given you my perspective on that, you tell me how how that band actually came about, and, and well, yeah. it came about because I mean the the the, the guitar player on that record, uh, he, he actually wrote all the tunes. A guy named Glenn Cannon, he wrote all the tunes and the melodies, but he got the singers uh, to write lyrics. He basically handed over the tunes to them and said, "I need you to. Would you like to write some some lyrics to these to the to my melodies?" Um, and I'd known Glenn for, for decades, um, um, and he approached me about this project, whether I'd be interested in, in playing, um, just doing a, a gig. And I said, and, I, and he, I said, well, let me listen to what you guys are doing. You know, and he, he gave me a couple of tunes, and I freaking loved it, man. The, 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 the tunes are great, you know. And, and by this stage, he had no drums on it. It was just basically vocals and guitars, right? Um uh, like recorded on a like an iPhone, one of their rehearsals, you know, and so that that it came from that, and then the process of the making of the album. So we did a gig, you know, it's a ten piece band, so we did a gig, and the gig, uh, I I recorded it, or it was recorded, and then um, we're listening back to it, and I'm going, man, we really need to make an album of a proper recording of these tunes, 
Um, and so as we were, we were planning it and then, you know, COVID took over and so none of us could leave the house. So I, I, I said, I, I'd already was made the decision to kind of track the drums from home, do all the drums from home, get all the beds down, and then we could hand files out to the bass player, the keyboard player, you play on that, do it all from the luxury of your home, you know. So I, so, um, I did five tracks. It's, a, it's actually a 10-track CD. Um, so we play, I remember doing five tracks initially, and then the bass player and the keyboard player didn't have home recording setups, so we had to wait till the uh, restrictions oh, were, t- t- got were a bit lifted. Of a break. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so I, I got the bass player to come around, Ashley Smith to come and play uh, bass, and I got Darren Archer to come play uh, keyboards, piano. Um, so we tracked that. So now we got, and then we got Glenn to play guitar, and he did it in my studio here. So now the the, the rhythm sections start in the form, right? So. It was ready enough now. These five, the first five tracks, to hand them over to the singers to start, and they did everything remotely as well because they all had setups. Um, luckily, they all knew their parts and everything that it are. So, so that's how that album came about. And then the next five songs we did, we did pretty much in the same way. Um, and and so when it came to mixing the record, um, because I'd recorded everything here. The, the the sort of the the stems that I was set, setting out to the singers and to Glenn to to listen to, Glenn turns because man, why don't you have a go at, at at mixing the whole thing? I wasn't playing on I I wasn't sort of pitching for the idea. I, I was more than happy to hand the files over and let someone else take care of it because it was a pretty big undertaking. You know, four vocalists singing harmonies. You know, with a six piece band, it's like, oh man, that's a lot of work. You know. Um, and uh, it was, it was heaps of work. Um, the, 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 the amount of um, endless nights I had mixing and, and, but I took my time with it too, Stevie. You know, it was, again, it was a labour of love, you know. So uh, once I thought when the mixes were kind of good enough to hand out to a couple of the people, you know, in the band, maybe one of the singers or two of the singers and maybe the bass player, not to everyone because you're going to get 10 opinions of what it's, you know, and then it becomes a bit of a nightmare, you know. Um, but when I, when I thought I was kind of ready to kind of produce something to them and say, hey, well, have a listen, you know, I'm open to suggestions. And I, I really was because some of the stuff that came back was stuff that I totally missed, you know. Um, 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 and so I, I'm really proud of that recording, the, the fact that we all played on it, um, the time we spent to make it, um, the way it sounds, the, you know, my, I'm happy with the, the overall package. It, it's great. And, I'm, and, and the, the, the songs are great, man. The, the, the vocalists are just incredible in this recording, man. It really is. And it's a, and it's a joy to listen back to that recording. It really is. I don't, I, you know, with certain recordings where you play on, you kind of look, oh, Jeez, no, I don't know. <laughs> this one, man, I can listen to every single note that anybody played on this thing and just love it, you know? Yep. So there's, there's, one, there's one song, I can't remember exactly what it is because I'm only a couple of days into listening to it, but there's one on, song man. and you pop in this little sort of double kick sort of biddle of type thing. Do you know yep. do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Quite possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was driving up when I was driving home for work today, I was listening to the, to the album again. And um, do you remember so which song it, it was? It might be. Is it running out of time? Might be the last or the. Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Towards the end of the. 
Okay, let me just go towards the end. Is it is it the song? Oh, anyway, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't I can't hear it properly at the moment because I got my headphones on. It's through my phone, but there's moments in that yeah, like don't get don't don't there's a couple yeah. a couple of little things I snuck in there I, I mean only because <laughs> I I could <laughs> only only you know, only because there'd be that you know there was going to be drummers listening to it right maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe but you know I had the I had the luxury of like for like for that track that track uh, for instance that's that the sound of that snare drum is my 14 inch uh, DW uh, fourteen by four copper copper snare, so it's a piccolo with a splash symbol on top, but not hitting the splash, so yeah, hitting this to the side. So that's the sound of that one. And on 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 other tracks, it, it's like I've got like you know, um, uh, bloody copious amounts of gaffer to kind of make it a bit fatter and what have you. You know, it's just so that's the luxury I had in creating parts for that record. You know. Um, you know, it's a gig that we can really sort of wear our hearts on our sleeve and play, you know, um, and it's slowly getting a following. We've only done it like, you know, probably six or seven gigs since, you know, 2019, I think was the first gig we did. And then 2020 hit us and then, you know, we're out of action, but we're slowly getting a, like at, at our, uh, at, at gigs, you know, there's a good, a good crowd that's rocking up, you know, a good appreciative crowd that, um, then when they they may they might only have heard the album on Spotify, but then when they come and see us live, it's like shit. They're doing the same thing live. It's like these harmonies yeah. are live, you know, which is which is non-existent. I, I don't know of any other band that's doing that like that. You know, a lot of stuff's programmed and on tracks. And um, I know I've been part of bands that, that do that. You know, and and shows. You know, stage shows. There's heaps of stuff on track. You know. Um, but not not dissing it. But uh, I mean, if that's what you need to do to get it over the line, absolutely, you know. Um, but we're, we're, it's kind of it's kind of organic, if you know what I mean. You know, it's kind of a, a, an organic thing, which is, um, um, you know, I might run a loop for one of the songs, you know, because it's now part of the song now. It was it wasn't initially, but there's a loops on there which I found. I went, oh, this this might be really cool. Now it's. It's actually I've got to have it live. We've got to play it live like that because it's, if someone listens to the album, and go, oh, the live version wasn't that great. You know, I don't want them to walk away with that sort of feeling. You know, so, but um, it's like like with Daryl's gig. You know, if we don't play the, the the those iconic loops like one summer, if that loop's not there, you know, forget it. You know, the song becomes a little bit becomes it's less it's been lessened. You know. It's a lesser of a song now, um, um, and some some other songs that, that he's got the loops. You know, the intro to horses that's on track for the first bit. You know, because it's kind of iconic. You know, um, and uh, what was the other one? Oh, as the days go by, the loop on that. You know, that's you kind of you know they were doing that song without the loop for a while, and for some reason it kind of got reintroduced. And man, I love playing that song. I mean, I love playing all of his songs, but that loop. It's so freaking cool to play to, you know. Cha cha, cha cha, doom doom, cha cha, doom, cha cha, 
It's that 80s drum machine, man. Like, it's killer, you know. That's cool, that man. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about sort of, you know, you know, you having played gigs, filling the sort of shoes of, you know, sort yes. of other drummers and that kind of thing. So yeah, what that makes me think about Richard Marks because you played with Richard Marks and Richard Marks has played with some some of those top sort of cats. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, man. yeah, yeah, man. So I'm I'm interested on, you know, in your approach to that because you, you, you've done a couple of tours with them, right? Yeah, I did. I did one in 2016 and one in 2018. And um, so, so, yeah, look, the, yeah, sorry, Steve, go. Yeah, no, I was going to say, so, you know, obviously he's doing his, you know, I, I, his, the hit song. So I'm cu- also curious to see how much those songs have evolved, you know, for him to keep it interesting yes. for him. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? that's, of, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question because the versions that I we we did, some of them were quite different to the original stuff that ended up on the on the on the album. You know, um, um, and so like on these on those recordings, you know, he had guys like obviously, yeah, Jeff Jeff Bacara was prominent on a lot of that stuff. Um, Terry Bozio is on, on 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 some tracks on the Rush Hour. Album, um, who else is on that? I think bloody Tommy Lee gets a Guernsey on one of the big rock songs on that album. Like some of the really? deeper cuts, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. But but all the early stuff was Jeff, you know. Um, and so those, uh, so when I got when we when I got the gig, I'm going great. I'm gonna I'm gonna play those those versions. Uh, oh, okay, you know? well, well, just stop for a sec. How did you get that gig? How did that gig come about? And then we'll talk about. Oh, that 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 gig came about through the recommendation from um, uh, Brett Garsett. Actually, it came through Brett because um, he, uh, Richard knew Farnham's management or something like that. Obviously, and then they got in contact with Brett, and the the band was going to be something with Brett was going to be part of. But Brett could ended up couldn't do it because of his commitments with 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 with, with Farnham. And so he handballed it over to myself um, and Phil Terzio um, to, to, to put something together because Craig was obviously going to – Craig Newman was, was probably going to play bass as well, but his commitments to Farnham were, you know, um, priority. Um, and so that's how that, that gig came about. So and, and, and I was playing a lot with Brett anyway and um, doing his fusion stuff and played on his record and, and, you know, we had a band called Damage together and – you know, so he he thought we we we'd be uh, more than able to kind of handle his that music, you know, and stuff like that. So, so when we got the stuff to listen to, you know, the, these live versions, they were really really different to what I to what the the original versions were, you know. So basically, learnt those live cuts. But I also went back and listened to the original versions too. Maybe there's something there I can kind of grab and drag into the, you know, and maybe surprise him a little bit, you know. Um, and look, we only had one rehearsal with with the guy, um, and that and that first band we had Jack Jones playing guitar in the band and Peter Molliker on bass, and you know Richard walked into that rehearsal. And mind you, we we we, we rehearsed the day before he got there to run through the stuff. And so the next day, Richard rocks up and 
he basically walks into a band that's that already knows his material, and we ran through pretty much everything once. He was stoked, um, and the next night was the well, what was our first gig? I think in Perth or something like that, the Astor, and it was fine, you know. Um, but yeah, learning that stuff, yeah, yeah it was it, it had strayed a little bit, but not too much. Something like Endless Summer Night. Is it Endless Summer Night? The pattern, the pattern was the same. I remember that, you know, the verses. That was all pretty much the same. Um, you know, obviously right here waiting for you was, oh, there was a different build-up section to that. His live, the way he would do it, got really rocky at the end. You know, there's some some really nice sort of arrangements that he'd done to his songs. So. But he was he was great, man. He was great fun to, to, to play with. Yeah, the the fact that you know you guys had sort of learnt the material and you know kind of know each other. Yeah, he would have walked in there. He would have heard you guys, and then he probably would have felt that it wasn't going to be too much of a hazard. Hey, 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 that's fantastic. Although I, I will tell you, I tell you, I tell you a real funny story, right? With that, <laughs> it's great. I love it. It's great. How do I come back <laughs> from that joke? But the the, 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 the we, so we'd rehearsed the day before, and then during that rehearsal day, his management and road tour manager came and introduced himself to us, right? And so he's come in, and we're playing for him. You know, we're just running for some stuff, and he's looking around, going, "Oh man, you guys have got to cover. This is great. You know, Rich is going to love this." You know. Um, so, so he goes away. Uh, so the next day we know Richard's going to rock up to the rehearsal. So we're playing one of his new original songs. Um, um, like a, one of his newer stuff that not many people would know. And we didn't know it, but we were rehearsing it anyway. So we're playing the song and then the doors open, Richard comes in and starts singing exactly the right spot of the song. Like it's the second chorus. Like how do you know it was the second chorus? Like with the extra <laughs> bits on it. So, so, and he nails it. He finishes the song, you know, like perfectly, right, with, with us. And, um, and then he comes around and introduces ourselves. And then anyway, it wasn't until like a couple of days later that um, his tour guy, his tour manager came up to us and said, um, you know, Richard's really, he's really loves the fact that you guys have learned all the stuff and, you know, the, the rehearsal was, was really smooth. And, you know, and he goes, well, you know, when we rocked up to the, to the room and we could hear one he could hear that one of his songs was being played. You know, Richard turns to, his name is Sam, and, and says, hey, man, oh, they must be learning the new song. And Sam goes, no, 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 they're playing it right now. That's these guys doing it now. It's not the CD. This is them. And that's when Richard knew, he was like, oh, okay, um, these guys might be a bit <laughs> pretty serious, you know. But that's when that's how I knew when he walked in and knew exactly where it was to sing. He'd be listening to the beginning of the song at the at the back at at the front of the room. So I thought it was testimony to 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 the band that everybody learned it so well and made him really, made him feel really comfortable that you know. Actually, our first gig wasn't wasn't uh, Perth. It was actually Crown Casino. That's right. We did two nights at Crown, and they were both smoking gigs. Like you know, they're really really great gigs, and basically a great tour. That's what it was. You know, it was just great fun. You know, um, 
great sound, you know, yeah, he had his own. His tool manager was his sound guy too, so it was guaranteed it was going to be fantastic out the front, and it was. The reports that I got back were was always great, you know. And then the subsequent tour two, two years later um, was without Phil because by that time they put a lot of stuff on track, a lot of keyboard things, and so it was just myself, Peter Mollick on bass, and a guy named Kevin Mark uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, who'd been with Richard like uh, during the heyday in the 80s and 90s. So he was great. He was great fun. Beautiful guy to hang out with. And, uh, um, but yeah, so that's how that, that came about and, and that process. It's no, no different to any other artist or any other gig that I would play with, man. Yeah. I, no I gotcha, different. I gotcha. Yeah. No different. I, I, yeah. I, I just had yeah, to bring it up you know. because of that sort of yeah. the, the history of the drummers that yeah. we. Absolutely. We kind of grew up to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's no yeah. different to like, you know, to any other gig. If you go learn a repertoire for a top forty gig, you learn it. You don't, you don't go in there and not know, not know the stuff. You know, and that's that's that. And you know, I see a lot of drummers that, you know, I hear reports back. Oh, I didn't learn. Well, why? What's the reasoning behind that? What you think you're going to kind of get? You're going to guess how the songs end, or you know? And if if you didn't do your homework. I mean, expect to sort of, you know, um, make waves in the industry or um, amongst other players because it's not other drummers that book you. It's it's bass players, guitar players, singers. So they're the people you want to impress, not other drummers. <laughs> <laughs> Simple, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's not time us. And, t- time and place, man. Time and place. Time and place. Exactly. So you put all you put all the effort in, and when and when you get that opportunity, and you're ready. It's it's a no brainer. Things are going to start to happen for, um, you know, for for you or for whoever, or for whoever. So, um, it's not it's not an Instagram post. It's not a YouTube thing. It's actually playing in the same room as somebody, where they can realize they 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 can figure out whether you can play or not for more than thirty seconds. Can you play a song? Can you play a whole set of music? Can you play for an hour and a half? You know. And, you know, back, Stevie, you know, when we used to do club dates, I still do them sometimes, you know, not much these days, but, you know, we have to do like three one-hour sets sometimes, man. You know, you finish like yep. 2 o'clock in the morning. And then that, that, oh, that takes – um, It was usually oh, four in my dad's – four in my dad's, man. Um, there you yep. go. I mean, you know, so it, you, had, you had to kind of um, work on your playing, work on your endurance and know songs and, and be, be uh, adaptable, you know. Um, you know, the, 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 it's a different scene these days, man. Like, like, you know, I don't think those sort of gigs exist really anymore. So, um, but it builds character. That's what I'm trying to say. It builds character that, you know, if you learn the stuff, someone's going to hear you play, bang, you, someone's going to recommend you for another gig or their drummer can't make it. Hey, you know, can you do it? You know, what have you. It's, it's always word of mouth, man. Still word of mouth in, in yep. most cases. You know, no. so mate, what what have you got coming up in the next? Oh, well, what's what's twenty twenty four looking like? Have you got any sort of theatre gigs sort of Ooh. locked in for a part of the year, or like that's going to sort no. of you know yeah. black out the calendar for a bit? No, not no. no. <laughs> well, I, I know, um I know I'm busy up until mid March touring with Daryl, um, but then between March and uh, 
I think July or August, I think is he's planning on coming back. Um, oh, I've got some gigs with um with Dave Hole, a, a great uh, a blues guitar player from WA. Who Dave's been around for for as long as I can remember, and it's always been one guy that I've always wanted to play play with. And I'm getting the opportunity to to to, to do that's some cool. gigs with him here in Melbourne. So, uh, so how, that's did, not how did that in... how did that come about? Oh, that came about because um, he was doing a gig with with Jeff Atchison, and I can remember another another great guitar player from the Bondi Cigars as uh, a Sydney band. Uh, the guitar player whose name escapes me. Oh, I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to that. But anyway, the backing band they had, they did some gigs around Australia. I think it was, and there was Roger. Um, Roger was like the MD sort of vibe or piece it, piece it together. And it was a, a gig that I couldn't do. Um, anyway, this, so Dave wanted to, um, wanted to do, um, uh, some solo gigs, but with a band. And Roger rang me up and said, Oh, look, Dave wants to put something together. Would you be available? And as luck would have it, it's the week after I finished with Daryl. So it's kind of like the timing's great. So that came through that. And Roger McLaughlin's like an old mate of mine, you know, who actually just recently turned 70. You know, bless him, man. He's, you know, he's one of Australia's iconic bass players, you know. And um, and so, uh, and I've known Roger since I was about 23 years old, 22, 23. So that's a good 30 years, actually. Yeah, come to think of it. So that's how that did came about. And, and um, so we're going to do some gigs in and around Melbourne and, and regional Victoria. And then what else have I got coming? No theatre work on, um, at the moment. Um, uh, this time last year, I was really like during the winter times. I did a, I did do like a seven week stint in Melbourne of a musical called Midnight, uh, the musical Cinderella Story. It was something that was written by uh, John Foreman. And so um, that was great. That was great to kind of be in a in the pit, you know, eight shows a week. You know, I don't have to like, don't have, don't have to slip my gear anywhere. You know, you know, and um, I could basically hibernate for for the next seven weeks. It was great. Um, and the band and, and the band was great too. Like the, the musicians in the band were fabulous, and it was a great hang. Um, and so I don't know what's going to happen this this time around. Whether everything might might come up, but uh, oh, I'm not kind of I'm not going to try and fish for it, mate. I might take the time off and you know. Um, no, good stuff. Well, Jerry, yeah. man, I, I've I've really enjoyed tonight. I mean, I could literally sit, well, I actually wish I was sitting in a room with you actually, and we could <laughs> we could we, we could waffle on for hours. I think we've got we could, you know, man. We've got Absolutely. lots of stuff to talk about and. You know, maybe Steve. this leaves it open for a part two. I think at some stage, mate. So, I'm um, here whenever, whenever you need me, brother. I'm here, man. Yeah, it's all good. And, and thank you for asking me to be part of your your, your podcast. It, you no, know, pleasure, man. Fa- fabulous thing that you're doing, and it's uh, you know, keep up the great work, man. It really is. Thank you. Thank fa- you fabulous. So I think I appreciate that immensely for being on your. Uh, podcast and i have i haven't bored everyone man you know what i mean not so. at, and, <laughs> no not at all no and what well, i always dude. say is like you know people people come to people come to listen to the guest you know if they're going to get nah. bored they're probably going to get bored of my waffle you know nah. <laughs> your, your waffle is, is is beautiful man beautiful waffle <laughs> thank you man <laughs> oh, all right man. man look look after yourself jerry take it easy yeah, man. you too mate all right. right cheers man ciao, bye. ciao. bye-bye Yo, it's Stevie here. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you dig the Gig Life podcast, please subscribe, share, 
leave a review. Please follow us on Instagram and TikTok. You can send me a message if you have an idea for a guest or if you just want to say hello. This podcast is free, costs you nothing. But if you find the value in the Gig Life podcast, you can leave a tip or donation. Um, Links are in the show notes on your app. That's it for me for now. Catch you next time, guys. Cheers.